Have you heard all the buzz about ideal client avatars lately? Yeah, so have we. Which is why we thought it would be a good idea to share more insights into what makes an ideal client anyway. The top component to a solid ICA that most people miss. How to create your own ideal client avatar and what to do with the information once you get it in your marketing and sales process. I'm joined today by my wife and our head copywriter, Katie Taylor Jacobson, and we share a bunch of actual ideas you can put to use today. If you're looking for more help than just a podcast and want to have experts build your ideal client avatar and a website around them, reach out to Sam at IDActionConsulting.com or visit our website, IDActionConsulting, for more information on how to get started. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Katie, I like starting off with the whole Katie Taylor Jacobson. Thanks so much for joining us. Is that obnoxious? It is. It's okay, though. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I asked. What's a better way for me to do this? I really don't. Like, here's my lovely bride. Like, sounds just as weird. And I don't know. Does everyone know Katie? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think there's a right way. But everybody loves you. And I get so excited when I see your face and know that we're going to have a conversation about something amazing like three keys to ideal clients. You know I love a good ICA. <laughs> Already thrown out the acronyms. Oh, yeah. Already thrown out the acronyms. I know it's... Uh, so Katie finds it super obnoxious, y'all, where I go through and and get really excited about things like this. I, I genuinely get excited about it. So I get excited about Mondays too. I'm like, Mondays... I love Mondays. I'm like, woohoo. I get out of bed. It's like five or five thirty. I go get my phone. I do the New York Times crossword puzzle and wordle. And then by six, I'm downstairs, ready to go, super pumped, sending out texts and emails. I also love Saturdays too, though, right? Because this is like the most obnoxious thing that I do that Katie can't stand is that I wake up again at like five o'clock in the morning. I do my wordle and the spelling bee. And then it's like six fifteen and I turn all the lights on. I get dressed. And I'm like, hey, Katie, I know you're laying in bed and you just want to watch Love is Blind, but I want to talk to you about all the house projects that we're going to do. Can you pay attention to me and help plan with me, please? And she's like, get out of the room now. Nick a pen in it or stick something else somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you, you know what? You should be so lucky that I'm just that pumped to do the honey-do list on Saturday and to start work with our company on Mondays. And you, dear listener, I hope feel lucky that I get this excited about talking about keys to your ideal clients. No, I love it too. I am appreciative of how productive you are and um, and how excited you get about stuff with our business, for sure, for sure. So I kid, I kid. Um, I'm ready to jump in too. Let's do this. All right. All right. Well, let's do it. Well, you mentioned ICAs. Uh, I've, been, I've been hearing so much about ideal clients over really the last like three to six months, have you noticed a little bit more buzz about people talking about ideal clients? 
Yeah, I think that there are a couple of like masterminds going on right now. And the, the, the leader or leaders of those are using that acronym ICA, um, which stands for Ideal Client Avatar. So, yeah, I think that's really kind of where it's coming from. You know, maybe they've heard it there and then they come uh, to us and then we bring up something about uh, our brand communication strategy, which includes our version of an ideal client avatar. Uh, and so they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I already know everything about that. Um, I've already done that. So, um, yeah, so I definitely people are much more familiar with it. I do think it's being talked about more. And I think it's a really valuable thing to talk about. So I'm glad people are paying attention. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, people are kind of buzzing about it because of one or two or three or five groups or whatever it is. I, I remember going to engage in 2019, December of 2019. Um, you were there with me. That was the fateful one where I really tr completely looked at our business and what it is that we that I was going to be focused on uh, so differently. And I remember sitting in the audience and sitting in the crowd and listening to the main stage speakers and it was all about usps do you remember that one like that was the that was the acronym of the, that engage was usps unique selling positions mm -hmm. i feel like icas are kind of having their moment in the spotlight right now i do too for the long time i was thinking people were talking about id action consulting like somehow our letters were getting like messed around you know <laughs> and then i realized like oh no no this is okay i got it got it got it so yeah it's definitely the the buzz word going around right now i want to confess something to you and i'm going to do it on air oh if you could see katie she did literally just jump back and her eyes went big as saucers i got to tell you six years ago when i first got started six and a half years ago as a consultant i actually was a non-believer in ideal clients no, I I knew this about you. This is not shocking to me. And it's because I think it's in part because I'm a contrarian. I, I'm an Enneagram eight wing seven. Uh, my my first wife, Ali, she she was Argentinian, and so she spoke Spanish as a first language. And and she used to call me Avenida de Contramano, which is going against the grain for the sake of going against the grain. I, I would drive down a, a one way street the wrong way just just because that's the personality that I am, and so. I kind of felt like at that time, you know, people were talking about how you got to start with your ideal client and then you can build around it. And I was like, ah, nonsense. You can sell to anybody. And I think that a great salesperson who, who's a master at, at her craft or his craft can get pretty far without having an ideal client. But even somebody like me who's spent 20 years obsessing about how to sell better, I, I ran out. I ran out of, 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 ability i ran out of luck um i ran out of charisma and and i found that there were certain people that i couldn't win over and there were certain people that i felt like i could but i couldn't get them to pay the price that i wanted to and i realized that there was so much more that needed to be done and so i started to explore ideal clients a little bit and all of a sudden i was a believer and now i'm like i've got a whole set of gospels that i'm preaching every time i'm on a podcast or a newsletter or a retreat or our group coaching with our mastermind. And I'm talking about you can't do anything with your business until you find your ideal client. You know, I, you you are one that 
definitely is like against something and then all of a sudden you can be convinced to be for something. So yes, I remember when you, but honestly, the reason why I think is important that you were not fully on board. And I think it's because of what ideal client avatars were for a lot of people. Like a lot of people saw an ideal client avatar as being like this totally fictional made up version of this dream client and they thought by having this person, they were suddenly going to get those kind of clients. Like they literally went from starting as a planner, thinking that just they were going to dream up the way this person looked and where they shopped and the kind of brands that they liked. And just by having a brand that looked like that, they were suddenly going to go from making $1,000 to making, you know, $100,000 for a fee. And, and I think that's where it was like people were putting so many eggs in the ideal client avatar basket. And the, and the avatar that was being created was all about how things look, not about messaging so much. And so that's that's my belief as to why maybe you've changed your tune. But I, I would you know, agree. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree. And, and I think I'm still kind of against what the you know, what what we might see more often than not with ideal client avatars that are created outside of our approach in that it's still fairly surface level mm -hmm. and it's more about how things look and what else they do and what their behaviors are and it's less about why they do things mm -hmm. and when i found out that there was so much science and psychology behind the psychographics and the ethographics rather than just the demographics i was hooked I was like, I can't get enough of this. And it's really become a hallmark of what we do internally with our brand communication strategies, with our website copywriting, with my coaching, um, even with things like photo selection. It's, it's really laid the groundwork, the foundation for how we provide recommendations for our clients. You used three terms just now that maybe the audience doesn't know. I mean, demographics, I think everybody kind of knows, you know, what a demographic is, but why don't you address uh, the the ethographic and the psychographic just to make sure everyone's clear on what those what those are? Yeah, so uh, ethographics are values and beliefs. They're the values and beliefs of the people who are in your audience. What what's important to them? Um, you know, what do they cherish? What do they hold true? What are non negotiables with their morals? What are things that they're absolutely against and don't stand for? Uh, those are those are ethographics, values and beliefs. And when you look at psychographics, these are our attitudes. These are the attitudes and the motivations that, that drive us, our psychology. And so when you go through and you look at the, the attitudes that we have and, and, and how that processes through um, our, our then outer behaviors, you start to understand some of the connection between why people make decisions and, and what that looks like in their behaviors. And so that is the deepest level that you can go. It's really demographics are kind of surface level. Ethographics are that, that, that next layer below. And then psychographics are what's really at the core of your ideal client. When you know why people make decisions, you can predict their behavior in a number of different situations. And you can create and design a buying experience knowing what it is that they are likely to do next. And so your job then is to create an ideal client and a process that 
helps make it easy for them to make a decision to go with your services. All of that, of course, is dependent on if it being a good fit. And, and that's, that's where your own ethics come in. You, you want to make sure that you're offering helpful guidance and solutions to people who actually need it. Sam, so now that you've changed your tune, I'm curious, I have some thoughts on this, but why is an ideal client avatar important for a business to have? Because it allows you to create the messaging that is going to connect with them in marketing and in sales. When you know what triggers your ideal client, you can then create the talking points, the photos, the videos, the copy, the blog post choices. Um, you know, you can act, even figure out what questions to ask in the discovery call. Going back to USPs, what USP you want to put into your sales proposal. I, I mean, even the the actual products and 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 packages that you put together for your clients should be built to address what it is that they want to need the most. And, and it's, it's not just the functional needs that they have, the service level needs. It is the emotional needs, the, the social needs that they have. That's when you really start to build the value. So the, the deeper you go with the, with the level of need that they have, the higher you can go with the price that you charge because you're creating more value. I'll give you an example. Like if I know that, let's say that uh, I am a, I don't know, you, you give me an example. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot off the hip. Give me an example of a desire or concern that say a floral designer has. Oh gosh, a uh, desire or concern for a floral designer, uh, a unique one of a kind design. Okay. Okay. So unique one of a kind design, right? So that that could really be a trigger that's either autonomy or esteem. Okay. So there are nine core motivations that we're looking for. I'm going to go with the steam. Like I, I want to have a, I'm going to believe that this ideal client has a desire for a one of a kind design because they want to stand out from all the other girls in their peer group, in their friend group that have gotten married recently. And they want to be seen as the person who threw the best wedding celebration. And so they want to have designing a core that is going to create that kind of wow factor for the people who were there and FOMO factor for people who look at it on Instagram so they can be recognized as having the highest level of taste within their peer group. Okay. So knowing that I now want to create messages about how I design parties that will create FOMO for the people who don't attend and jaw dropping moments for people who go into the tent and look at the design and decor for the first time. And that then becomes the message that you are creating in the images that you select, the videos that you choose, the blog posts, the website content, uh, the discovery call, and the proposal that you're creating. You know, everything you said, yes, I agree with. You know, I always tell uh, when I'm when I'm training a new copywriter and I am talking with them about the importance of the ideal client avatar, um, you know, I always say, like, it's not about the cute picture we pick or the name that we assign to this fictional character or what they do for a living. I mean, some of that does come into play, but it's an it, ultimately it is an exercise in empathy. By creating your ideal client avatar, you are figuring out how to have empathy for your buyer, how to join the conversation that they're likely having. Uh, about their wedding day or about your services. You're you're imagining what it's like to be them right now, the stresses they might be having, the excitement they might be feeling. Because like Sam said, then that impacts everything else. 
But like he said, the discovery call questions, the way that you message on the website, the order in which you tell the story. Um, so it really kind of helps you to kind of walk a mile in their shoes. Uh, and, and and then that becomes makes all the other things that you will do with them so much more effective. Yeah, ha- having that empathy is super important. Remember in our initial copywriting, our copy maps that we used to do for our early clients, we actually included, what was it, four different vignettes of uh, uh, kind of a, a behind the scenes, what it was like in that buyer. Worst, you know, day in the life, what they probably like, how their work day kind of went or their life kind of looked. We used to talk about when things got really bad, you know, like what, what, almost like what was the last fight they had with their mom before they reached out to you, you know? And all of those were these, again, helping the copywriter kind of get into the head of, you know, what it must be like for this this couple uh, as they, you know, plan one of the most important days of their life, arguably. Yeah. And, you know, I do obviously a lot of one-on-one coaching and, and group coaching for sales. And I I always start with empathy. That's that's the only way that you can find success, I think, on a consistent long-term basis, especially at, at higher price points, is remembering that you offer a solution to somebody's biggest desires and concerns. And you must know those and let them know that you get them so that they care about the information that you're sharing. I think it was Theodore Roosevelt, who said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so when you have empathy and you start with empathy, it opens up the opportunity for you to then establish your authority in that area that they're concerned about, that they have an issue that they need solved. And so I think that's a great point that it's a, it's a, a place to start and something that allows you to get inside of not just the head, but the heart of the person who's ultimately making the decisions to buy your services or to take a pass on it. So let's talk about what makes up an ideal client. We talk about the three P's and it's obviously about price because you want to make sure that people can afford your services, but not everybody who's got a billion dollars in the bank is going to be an ideal client. What are the other two P's that we talk about when we're thinking of ideal clients? Well, I think back to my venue days and I can assure you that there were some bad personality bits. <laughs> the second one is personality. You know, sometimes somebody can have a lot of money, but there is no amount of money they could have paid me to want to work with them based on how they treated me or the team um, or the stress I knew that they were going to put us through. So because again, because of a bad personality fit. Yeah. So making sure that they're easy to work with, they're fun to work with, maybe they're exciting to work with. Those those are real. They don't have to be easy. I mean, I listen, there were plenty of clients who challenged me and I really appreciated that because I needed to be pushed. So it's not just about them being easy um, necessarily, but, but somebody that for one reason or the other, you're going to enjoy working on uh, working with them. Mm. So we got price, personality, and the third one is project. What does the right. project look like? Is it going to build your portfolio? Is it going to be something that's going to challenge you creatively? Is it going to be an interesting project for you to work on? A lot of you are working with clients for you know dozens of hours uh, and 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 working with these projects over the course of you know six, eight, twelve, fifteen, eighteen months. And so you want something that's not going to bore you. And if you're only doing a handful of them a year because you're in luxury, you want to make sure that the ones that you do are going to build your portfolio, have a chance of getting published, 
earn earn you the the engagement that you need on your social media channels to attract more ideal clients. So the the trifecta of the three P's, the triple P is price, personality, uh, and and project. So if that's what we want to think about when we're going through and kind of formulating who our ideal client is, what are some misconceptions that you think are out there about ideal clients? Well, I think you already sort of addressed this one, but I think price is the biggest one. Like it's the most important P, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like just making sure that the person has the budget to afford our services. And I'll even have the client say that to me when I talk to them about, tell me a little bit about your aspirational client or you know who you want to work with in the future. And they're like, just somebody who can afford my services. And I'm like, well, hold on. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that. So if they were a total jerk and they were totally awful to work for, you would still want to, you know, and they'll often say, oh, no, 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 you know. Um, so, yeah, I think I think just the fact that price being the only important factor uh, is a huge kind of misnomer. or misconception. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And, I, you know, if you go through and look at three P's as like the ideal client, um, price being one of the P's, not enough. Really what you're looking for, I think, for it to be a client you would want to work with, um, if not a perfect buyer, at least not a flawed buyer, that would be having two out of the three. So mm-hmm. price plus another one. They could be really fun to work with or really great to work with, but maybe their project is kind of mediocre. And, you know, if they can pay the bills and it's not going to be awful to work with them and you need the date filled, that might be a good person to book. Um, or it could be that, you know, they can afford your services and they got a great project. They may not be the perfect person for you personality wise, but you can stretch your normal way of communication, ha- you know, ha- have some recognition that they don't have to be your best friend. They just have to respect you and the process and your deliverable. And and that's good enough. Not everybody's going to be your BFF from day one to the wedding day. And and that's okay. Now, I think most people in the wedding industry are in this situation. I think one of the big misconceptions out there is if you set an ideal client, that you're only going to have to then work with ideal clients. It it but that's not it. That's just a target. You're just you're setting down this is the big magnet that I'm creating. But you're going to have all sorts of metal balls that roll by your magnet that become attracted to it. Not only ideal clients are going to end up in your inbox because of that. So I think that's another misconception that I would add that um, that you can formulate who your ideal client is, but you're going to end up working with a bell curve of people who inquire. And the bulk of the people are going to fit two out of the three, and some of them are going to only fit one out of three or none. And and hopefully a few, you know, more and more though, over the years are going to be those ideal clients. If, if you only need to book three or four clients a year, maybe they'll all be ideal. If you need to book eight or 10, maybe they'll all be ideal because you have enough demand and enough inquiries coming in that you can say no to people who don't check all three of the boxes. I have a client that I did coaching with in uh, uh, not a major market in the US and he was a planner and had 600 inquiries a year coming in, but only planned and designed six events a year. That meant that we were looking for 594 not ideal clients to say no to. And so if that sounds like you, amazing, you might be able to work with all ideal clients. But my experience is most people aren't getting 10 inquiries a week and want to book more than in one event every other month. And so just keep in mind that knowing your ideal client and shooting for your ideal client doesn't mean you're always going to hit the mark. 
And sometimes you're going to have to work with less than perfect. So we're going to go through with our ideal client in mind. One of the things that we've been talking about as a company that I want to, I want to bring up here is how to choose a reasonable, reachable, ideal client that is a composite of what you are currently achieving and what you aspire to bring in. Because oftentimes there's a big gap between those two. And we want to make sure that we're reaching for an aspirational client, but we're not reaching too far. But we're also not just settling for the best of what we have. So when we go through and we think about ideal clients, and and I'll just speak for us on this one, we're really trying to come up with a mix of the best of what you have right now and also a little bit of what you you may have only had a taste for because they've only booked a, a handful of events with you or maybe something that you haven't even yet booked and and you're really reaching for it. So keep that in mind that you don't want to reach too far, but you also don't want to settle for only what you have. I'll, I'll use this metaphor and and this is just the way my brain works. It's a little bit different than than most people's and and I hope that you get something from it. I was remember this a few weeks ago, KD was building a fire and it was a really crappy day like it is right now out outside rainy windy stormy dark and overcast and and uh it was a saturday or sunday and i was reading a book and and i i wanted to get the fire going so i looked over and we had this great fireplace and we had this really great box of kindling it's called fatwood and it's resin soaked kindling that are like they're like big matchsticks they're like i don't know like eight inches long and like an inch in diameter, but they're soaked in resin to make it really easy to get going. And so we always have those. They're easy to light. And underneath the fireplace, there was like two or three big logs from the night before. Now, it was cold and wet and windy and all that stuff. And I did not want to go outside to go and get more firewood because I had to walk down the steps and get hit with the weather. So I decided that I was going to take the chance and go from the kindling to the big pieces of wood. Now, I have lit over a thousand fires, maybe 2,000 fires in my life. At one point, I had a house that the only heat source was a wood stove. So you can imagine I had that going quite a bit. And I was like, I know this isn't going to work, but I think if I put enough kindling in there, and like I'd hope and pray, maybe it'll happen. So... I went and I lit it, I built up the fire and I looked over like 10 minutes later and it had, had kind of snuffed itself out. The kindling had burned through the resin, the big logs had not caught fire and I was like, ah, crap, all right, I'll go outside. So I put my slippers on, put my rain jacket on, walk outside, bring in the small pieces and the medium pieces and the large pieces so that I could get the big logs going. That's kind of what you got to do for your business when you want to level up. And I told this to Katie. I go, Katie, this is exactly what our clients do. I'm going to tell the story on a podcast sometime. So here I am, babe, telling the story. If you make too big of a jump from kindling to big logs, you will not catch fire. If you make too big of a jump from what you're currently doing to three or four levels above where you're at, your business will fall on its face. You will get people who will ghost you, who will reject you, who will tell you they went in a different direction. 
you will look back 6, 12, 24 months from now and go, oh man, I hit a dead spot. I hit a dead zone in pricing or, you know, oh, the economy's awful and that's why nobody's booking or whatever other thing that you come up with as an explanation or rationale. But really what happened is you just reached too far too fast and you did not build a solid foundation for the, the, the next level raise that you wanted to make with your business. Yeah, that's why I was saying, I love that you shared that story. And I, that's why I said at the very beginning, you know, you can't pluck your ideal client avatar out of thin air. You can't just think like, this is who I want to work with and go from nothing to something like that. You'll either burn yourself out or burn, you know, or like you said, like your business will snuff out in the process. So great metaphor. Okay. So what are the three things that we want to consider when we're looking at our ideal client, we want to factor in a, a lot of different input. You know, one of them obviously is getting information from your past and or current clients about things that that they want and need and just asking them directly. But we also want to reach out to our, you know, our client if we're doing it or, or reach within ourselves if we're DIYing our own ideal client. And we want to spend some time in there too, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. How long do we spend with our, our clients when we formulate a brand strategy that's built around their ideal client? How many, how many hours, hours, not minutes, but hours do we interview them? Oh, do we interview our clients? Um, so when we are working with a new copy client, we spend anywhere from three to four hours getting to understand their business, their background, the services they offer, what motivates them? What do they value? How does that impact their client experience? You know, I always say like, we're going to, well, I say two different metaphors. I say, we're going to pull apart your business. I think this was yours. Pull apart your business like an accordion and look at the inner workings so we can see like, what does your process actually look like? But also we're going to peel back the layers of who you are to understand what your background is, what your values are as a human being and what that, you know, what that brings to your your client experience. And that's important because we tend to project out to our onto our ideal client what it is that we see in ourselves or the best of what we see in ourselves. Because it's the same values and beliefs, right? The same ethographics we see in ourselves is what we want to see in our ideal clients. We want people who are part of our tribe that are, 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 are our people. And so we project ourselves onto our ideal client in, in many ways. Katie and I were walking the other day. I'll tell the story. This is like Sam, open mouth, insert foot. And, and we, we were, which happens a lot. It's, it's amazing I still have any feet. Um, but I, I, we were talking about destination wedding clients. And like, what story is he going to tell? He could tell from a number of stories. Like I said, it's amazing that I have any feet or toes after all the times that I put my foot in my mouth. So we were walking and I was like, oh no, they, they need to be a, you know, a, this type of person and that type of person, a, a dreamer and a, and a boss type. Like that's, that is the ideal client for destination weddings. And that's who we have to write this for and blah, 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 blah. And, and Katie says to me, that's not true. And I said, oh yeah, it is. And she goes, no, it's not because that's not me. And I had a destination wedding. I was like, no, it's well, my, he was like, 
no, we ended up canceling our our destination wedding. And I said, I'm not talking about you and me. Like my first wedding, I had a very fancy wedding in Napa Valley. And Sam was like, oh, I totally forgot about that one. It took me a little while. It took me a little while. <laughs> so <laughs> so all, all that to say that, you know, you're going to you're going to come up with oftentimes a projection of what it is that you see in yourself, because I see that kind of client of myself. Right. Like I'm like, I am that perfect buyer. Right. I am that perfect buyer. And so then we start projecting our own desires and beliefs and concerns and issues as we go through and create that avatar. And I thought that was just a good check. And and it's one of the reasons why, like, I'm first of all, I'm not doing the kind of intake calls that you, the copywriting team is doing because you can't do it in a few minutes. You can't just create a composite out of your mind. You actually have to do client research for your ideal client to be accurate. You've got to dig into who it is that you want to work with and spend some time looking at the brand and what they value and believe. And those are two out of the three areas that you've got to start with. But the third thing that you've got to do is you've got to look at the comp set as well. And that yeah, that's important. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on why. Well, why you look at the comp set is one of the main reasons is so that we do as copywriters so that we can figure out how to position our client uh, apart from the competition in the mind of the buyer. So, you know, you hear the the phrase create blue water between the competition and you, and the customer. Uh, I mean, our client, our customer in the mind of the buyer. Um, so that's the primary reason to do it. The other thing I was going to say, kind of back to what you were talking about with us interviewing and kind of putting who we are and what we value, like layering that on top of the ideal client avatar we get so much valuable information from our clients, but they are in some ways unreliable narrators because they are going to give us information that is like this, like just a, a replica of who they are. And that's another reason why we look to see, okay, what did their clients, who are their clients actually? Um, then we have obviously the interview with them to understand, you know, from an aspirational perspective, who do you want them to be and who are you? Then we also look at their current competition and their aspirational competition to see what kind of marketing messages those companies are putting out about themselves, because that's going to give us an idea of, again, who the buyer is truly, who the existing buyer is and who the you know, prospective buyer is by just looking at kind of like, how are other companies marketing to these people? What kind of messages are they saying about themselves? That also kind of gives us some clues as to what the ideal client avatar might want or need to hear. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's really a composite then of the information we get directly from the couple, the information we get from the service provider, and the information that we can glean from the comp set's own marketing that they're putting out into the world. Exactly. And that's a lot of work. I mean, we spend 25, 30 hours doing this kind of work before we ever write a line of copy? It's because it's so important. It will inform everything else that you, I mean, truly, it starts from there. Your website copy is informed by that information. Any information you share on social media starts with knowing that information. Um, again, the development of discovery call questions starts with that information. 
it's like you know the the center that the atom uh, the nucleus of everything and everything then builds out from there so it's super important to get right yeah i think that's so good for people to know that you can't really spend too much time trying to identify your ideal client what makes them tick what's important to them we haven't talked about this and i want to dig into it before we wrap up and that's how they like to communicate and this, this, is, this is like our own little secret sauce that, that we add on top of the secret sauce that we have already talked about with psychological triggers, the psychographics, and that is the buyer type and their communication preferences because not everybody wired the same way. And people who uh, have a lot of money to spend on their wedding and a really great creative project, we talked about personality being kind of the third thing to consider. And a lot of that personality comes down to how we communicate with other people. We tend to communicate with people who are like us very easily. And we tend to like other people who communicate like us much more than people who communicate the opposite way or differently than us. So what are some ways that the buyer types impact the ideal client? Is that something that you want to factor in very early on? Or is that something that you could wait on? No, I mean, you know, remember, I am a copywriter. Messaging is super important, right? That's what I see. What do you say, Sam? When you are a hammer, all you see is nails. So, you know, I'm definitely looking at it through that lens. But the the buyer type, the way that they pre, uh, prefer to receive information in this world, um, when you consider that the website is pro- the primary way, your website, maybe your social media, are the primary ways your buyer is going to receive information about your brand initially. I mean, obviously, it's super important to understand how they need to receive that information. And to be clear, it's not just in the way that the words need to appear on the page or read on the page. It's the way they appear on the page. So it's about the way that the headlines show up or the way that the copy is wireframed, like does it have bullet points? Is it broken up into shorter sentences or longer paragraphs? Where are there you know, images or video placed amongst the copy? How much copy is in one section? All of that, there's all these tiny little things that as a copywriter, we have to think through. And we're only able to do that if we know who that buyer is, because all four types want to read a website or want to read information, receive information from you differently. I just think it's so cool. And I, I wish I would have discovered communication preferences and, and created buyer types earlier than I did. I feel like I feel like it would be light years ahead. You know, I, I probably would have had like some company that was, you know, selling, you know, whatever product or service and was like making billions of dollars for our customers if if I had learned this when I was like twenty instead of at thirty-eight years old, which is when I learned it. But now that I I know it and I know how effective it is. I want to share with as many people as possible. I mean, when you and I sat down, you tell the story, Katie, really well about when you first heard me talk about buyer types, you were editing the first version of our, what is now the Blueprint to Book More online course. Do you, you had your headphones on, you're sitting next to me and I don't know, t- tell, tell the listeners what happened. Well, I had, you know, uh, I didn't have AirPods in. I had like big noise canceling, you know, over the ear, like beat style, you know, headphones on. And remember, I sold for a major luxury brand for 14 years and another seven on top of that for another very well-known uh, hotel company. 
and I've got I've I've got a tons of training, have learned from the best of the best. And Sam started talking about buyer types and how that Im- influences the sales process. And I like pull the headphones off of my ears and like threw the headphones down on the desk. And I was like, like, you've been holding out on me. You know? <laughs> like, holy cow, what I could have done had I known this stuff back in the day when I was selling directly to couples. So all of that to say, those of you listening, go back and listen to some of the other podcasts on buyer types in particular. It is some of the most valuable information that you are going to to get for free um, on how to style stretch, to, to meet and speak to these four different buyer types, how to communicate with them effectively. Uh, it truly it moves the needle. And if you are interested in, in you know rewriting the copy on your website, obviously that's also something that's just huge to know and be aware of. Yeah, and it's challenging, right? I mean, it's we do ongoing training with our own team to continue to improve their understanding of it, to refine it, to hone it, to add on to it, because it's 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 applicable in so many different parts of the brand strategy and the ideal client avatar and the way the copy is laid out and the design itself on the website. A lot of that is impacted by the communication preferences of your ideal client. So. You want to dig deep when you're creating your ideal clients, everybody. You want to make sure you're not stopping at the surface with the demographics. You want to dig down into the ethographics and the psychographics. You want to make sure that you're getting information directly from your best clients. You're digging into yourself to identify the kind of person that you love working with. And also make sure you consider the comp set so that you can position yourself to make that a lot easier for you to do something that's different than they are to appeal to them, and then add in to all of that a little secret sauce of communication preferences so that you can speak to them in a way that is going to be easy for them to understand and interesting for them to consume, depending on on which buyer type. Now, all of that sounds pretty complex. Um, if you don't want to do it yourself, you can reach out to us. We are always happy to help. That's why we're here. That's why we are in business is to offer solutions to your problems. We have six full-time copywriters, KDS5 additional people that work with her on website copy and on proposal copy and on blog content. And we would love to work on your project. If you're interested, go ahead and click a link in the show notes to go to idactionconsulting.com or reach out to me on DM at our Instagram, idactionconsulting. Love to start the conversation. You can talk a little bit more about who your ideal client is and what kind of business you're hoping to attract. And we can share with you a little bit more about how we help you create that and how we can put that on your website. Anything to add, Katie, before we sign off? No, I mean, yes, <laughs> always. There's always one more million things I want to say, but uh, I think I think that's it for now. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate the conversation. So much fun talking with you and excited to have you back on again soon. Thanks so much.